I survived Vegas. I did. I survived Vegas. I'm red. I played more golf than I played in a long time. Took $1,000. Yes, that's right. $1,000 from one of my nephew's buddies because, well, frankly, he had a big mouth. I love the kid, but he deserved it, and he had to lose. And I am all kinds of red. But before we get into this, I got to say prayers and thoughts. Yesterday, flying home from Vegas, a member of the Indiana University women's water polo team fell out. I guess all of a sudden we're pulling back from the gate. It's about a seven o'clock flight and we're pulling away from the gate. The water polo team had come back from a great weekend. They beat San Jose State. They beat Santa Clara. They're on our flight. And next thing you know, they come back and they announce uh, EMTs and medics are going to be on the flight. Sure enough, here they came after we pulled back to the gate and a lady, a woman uh, on the water polo team and the co- one of the coaches were helping her off. The EMTs were helping her off because she had fallen sick. And I got to tell you, I was watching the women's water polo team as we were at the gate. Man, those women were studying. Those women were awesome. So I hope and pray that the young lady, I didn't ask who it was. It's none of my business, that kind of thing. But I hope and pray that she is all right. All right. Let's get to it. What a huge weekend in the NBA. But we got a couple stories First one, roads again, according to Mayor Pete, are racist. I don't know what to tell anybody. I honestly don't. I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to tell a soul. So now roads again are racist. Pete Buttigieg said that there was a structure in the United States way back. Overhangs weren't big enough. I don't know. Let's hear from Mayor Pete talking to, of all people, of all people that noted tax dodger, yet still stays at the Four Seasons, drinks the finest cognac, and smokes the biggest cigars. Reverend, I guess he's a reverend, Al Sharpton. This is Pete Buttigieg doing what Pete Buttigieg does better than anybody in our government. He panders. Let's hear from Pothole Pete. We've got a crisis when it comes to roadway fatalities in America. We lose about 40,000 people every year. It's a level that's comparable to gun violence. And we see a lot of racial disparities, black and brown Americans, tribal citizens and rural residents, much more likely to lose their lives, whether it's in a car or as a pedestrian being hit by a car. There are a lot of reasons uh, related to discrimination, related to uh, even the ways that roads are designed and built. Who has access to uh, a safe street design that's got crosswalks and good lighting? Who doesn't have that access? That can drive disparities, and we have a, a responsibility to act on that. Well, you know what? Okay, uh, but, but what are you talking about? I mean, the roads themselves, I get it. Okay, you want to say there's no lighting? Hell, there's no lighting in my neighborhood. You want to say there's crosswalks? Fine. But the design of the roads is racist? I mean, what are we doing here in this country? Why are we always pandering? Why, At one point, do African-Americans like Al Sharpton say, hey, wait a second, Pete, you're just pandering. I, mean, I get it. You're all Democrats. If I was Sharpton, I'd be like, look, uh, son, sit down here. Um, you're just pandering here. Disp- explain to me, okay, you want to say that maybe these lights get fixed, those lights get fixed, but you know what? In 90% of the cities, it's a democratic city. So get off your backside and fix them. No, I think so. I do. I think so. 
But that's not what we do. We just pander. We just get in front of a camera. That's all this guy does, Buddha Judge. I mean, he's a mayor of a city and he didn't do any good. And now he's sitting here and all he does is whenever he's speaking, he just panders. He doesn't have any solutions. We got to do, all right, you're two years into your job here. What have you done? Have you fixed the racist roads? Have you fixed the racist design of the roads? I mean, is it the same racism that is in rural communities that is in cities? I get confused. These guys drive me nuts. I tell you, it doesn't drive me nuts. The NBA playoffs. You guys can get mad, glad, angry, or sad at me, but my buddy Mike Paulson and I were sitting in a restaurant in Vegas. And on this TV at this restaurant, we were sitting at the bar. We had a $32 hamburger, cheeseburger, bacon burger. And I never had a $32 burger in my life. And I got to tell you, it was like John Travolta in Pulp Fiction. I got to taste a $5 shake. I, I got to take, it's a $5 shake. I got to taste a $5 shake. Have you ever seen Pulp Fiction? But I'm sitting there and I'm like, all right, well, you know what? It's damn near the cheapest thing on the menu. It's just a little American style restaurant. And all of a sudden, on this TV was a UFC fight. On that TV, um, Golden State and Sacramento. And I got to tell you, the Golden State-Sacramento game, now it's in Vegas, so there were Vegas, you know, Sacramento people, I'm sure California people. That TV, with no sound on, had the entire joint jumping. Because it was one of the best basketball games that I think I've ever seen, and here's why. It was boom, make, make, make. You don't make, I'm going to make. Whoever misses loses. Mitchell Wiggins or Andrew Wiggins missed a left corner or right corner, excuse me, three, which would have basically won the game for Golden State. De'Aaron Fox was great, 38 points. Steph Curry was great. They took 53s, Golden State did, 50 of them. It was incredible. 126 to 123. Steph Curry had a one-footed kind of lean-in three for the tie. He missed it. And the entire bar, which wasn't really packed, it was more of a formal place than it was just a, oh, I don't know, you know, bar bar. It was one of those kind of off-the-casino restaurants. It was at the Mirage. And the entire bar, like, cheered or groaned. And it started out as we watched. There was nothing there. I mean, nobody really cared. And then you get watching, like, my God. Whap, 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 whap. And the place showed up beautiful. I mean, beautiful on TV. The cow palace or whatever they call it in Golden State. I got tired eyes. I'm looking at my eyes right now. Keep those eyes open. I got home at 4 in the morning. But anyway, it was absolutely Fantastic. You're going to talk to Mike Bray coming up a little bit about the NBA playoffs and what he sees. But I'm just telling you, that game was unfreaking believable. There were a couple routes. The Sixers routed the Nets and the Celtics routed the Hawks. The Knicks Cavaliers game was tremendous as well. Knicks went into Cleveland and got it done. Jalen Brunson, look, I don't know what you're doing over there with the Mavs. I don't know who Luka Doncic likes or doesn't like, but I know this the Mavericks are out of the playoffs. And guess who's not out of the playoffs? Jalen Brunson and the Knicks. Jalen Brunson and the Knicks, they got to overcome the opponent. They also got to overcome their own guy, Julius Randle, who's kind of nuts and kind of for Julius Randle. But hey, aren't we all for ourselves? 
Man, it was good. How about the Heat? The Heat can't score. The Heat can't do this. The Heat can't do that. The Heat can't up, 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 Well, guess what? The Heat dropped 130 on Milwaukee. Reggie Miller said the dumbest thing you're going to hear somebody on TV say, okay? You know what Reggie Miller said? So Tyler Hero goes out with a hand. Giannis Antetokounmpo goes out with a hand or an ass or something, right? He says that losing Tyler Hero for the Heat is bigger than losing the Greek freak from Milwaukee. Now, I'm all for Reggie Miller. I'm a fan, even though he beat me in the NIT championship game in 1985, which is a lifetime ago. I'm all for Reggie Miller. But that is stupid. That's just not very smart. And the Greek freak looks to me like the MVP because once he went out, his team couldn't even play. His team got routed. Jimmy Butler lost his mind. Playoff Jimmy doing playoff Jimmy thing. I'm just telling y'all, it is fun to watch because the crowds are great. Now, there are some teams where you're like, yeah, that's boring. There are. There are some teams where you're like, yeah, I don't care. There's a bunch like that. But, I gotta, but I'm telling you, when you watch and you're sitting there and you're seeing what's going on with these teams and how good they are, you're like, holy cow. And remember this, ladies and gentlemen, I've done a radio show for 14 years in Indianapolis. And 10 years, I also did ESPN basketball. For two years, I'm doing this. And I will say this and never stop saying it. It is one thing to beat LeBron James on a Wednesday, in February, on a Friday, in January, on Christmas Day when you're all excited. But it's another thing to beat LeBron James four times in two weeks. Now, I've said this since LeBron James has come into the NBA. Beating LeBron James four times in two weeks is damn near impossible. I'm not saying it can't be done. I'm not saying it won't be done. But LeBron James, they went into the Grizz and beat the crap out of the Grizz, beat them by 16. Now, John Morant got hurt. Isn't it always amazing when guys are really focused on their year, when guys are really doing their thing, they don't get hurt. They have big playoffs. And we saw that with John Morant last couple years. John Morant's been terrific. This year, John Moran has believed, he and his little daddy have believed that John Moran is something other than a great basketball player. They believe John Moran was a thug. So guess what? John Moran has all these problems. So as it happens, fate happens. Guess what? John Moran gets hurt in the playoffs. It's no surprise. No, no, no. Don't at me, people, about that. When you are at the center of being a pain in the you-know-what, Bad things happen to you. When you are at the center of doing uh, good things, of being a good dude, of being focused on your job, good things happen. Now, you can argue with me, and I ain't mad at you for arguing with me, but you're dead wrong. Because John Morant, being a pain, it just carries over. Somebody will write an article, Dr. Chess being a pain. It just does. I'm sorry. I see things others don't. Uh... Western Conference playoffs, love the fact that Kawhi Leonard's back. Love the fact that Kawhi Leonard, who doesn't say nothing, he just balls, beat the crap yesterday out of Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant, my backside. 
Kawhi Leonard, I can get down with. Kawhi Leonard got lucky. Paul George is hurt. He's out. That means Paul George won't screw up the game for him. But Kawhi Leonard went off 38 points. Now, hey, look, Durant had numbers, 27, 11 assists, 9 rebounds. Good for Durant. But Durant, I was listening today, guys are making excuses. Well, you know, it's a feel-out game. Well, you know, he's learning how to play with other guys. Well, you know, yeah, okay, whatever. Uh, Chris Paul, seven points, two for eight shooting. And John Morant, or excuse me, and Kevin Durant. I've had enough of Kevin Durant. I've had enough. If it comes down to Kevin Durant or Charles Barkley, I'm always going to side with Charles Barkley, and it ain't going to be close. Why would it be? Charles Barkley's the man, and Durant has said too many mean things to him. I was glad to see, really glad to see Eric Gordon of Indiana get in the playoffs. Feels like he's been in the NBA for a long, long time and has never been in the playoffs. I like that. No, I like that a lot. I think that's good, and Eric Gordon hit a big shot. Speaking of big shots, no, Russell Westbrook hit none. Three for 19, but man, did he make plays at the end. Holy cow, did he make plays at the end. Ladies and gentlemen, here's your your deal. If you want to watch the NBA, and I think this is what made the NBA so interesting the other day, I did it with the sound off. I did. I did it with the sound off, which meant I didn't have to hear the idiots. Yeah, I know Hubie Brown's the best. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. Doris Burke is awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, right. All right, fine. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know, I know. Uh, it is amazing that Hubie Brown at 89 years old is doing what he is doing. Or 90, yeah, 89, yeah, is doing what he's doing. It is. But, I mean, this Doris Burke is great. She's this, she's that. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, Okay. Pull this and plays Jingle. Everybody's great. No, seriously, everybody is great. No, they're fantastic. Mike Bray's going to join us coming up here in a moment. I, look, the sound was down. Guys were freaking balling. I mean, balling to the point where everybody in the restaurant was screaming and yelling one way or the other, Golden State um, and Sacramento. I think it's the first time I watched the Sacramento game since freaking Minnesota was playing. The great Mike Bray got the big gray beard, the glasses, looking like a retiree down in Florida. What are you doing, boss? Fill us in. What's <laughs> going on with you? You know what? I turned the computer. I want you to see the snow in South Bend behind me. I mean, wow. please, Danny, you got to get me out of here. Wow. Please pay the ransom. Wow. Please get me out of South Bend. Pay the ransom. The Pope has said I can leave Notre Dame after 23 years. Please get me out of here. <laughs> when, wait, Mike, when I last heard you were going to be the head coach of South Florida. What the hell? I know. That's, it's, I, not, it's not snowing. It's not snowing. I, you know, I, uh, I was trying to wrap my arms around that one because of location, 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 and I got my grandchildren <laughs> down there, but uh, – I'm going to stay away from this college stuff for a while and figure something out. <laughs> Mike, make them pay you. Whatever it is, I don't care. <laughs> Coaches, contracts. When I went into broadcasting, my brother, who's a contract attorney, said, just understand one thing. You will never sign a contract as great as a coach's contract where they uh, just keep paying you. No matter, <laughs> You know what I mean? Hey, that we, we have stolen for so long – 
And and I no regrets. That next young generation of guys, when I saw them on the road last summer, I said, "Fellas, don't you dare complain because we've been stealing." <laughs> hey, uh, all right. I'm gonna. I, I, this is my sleuth-like Indiana University education. I heard you say you're gonna stay away from this college thing. Are we? Are we looking at the NBA? What are we doing here? You know, that does intrigue me, uh, Dan. It really does. And, and, and have spoken to some of the people. There's movement, obviously. I've, I've kind of watched the NBA more the last month. I know you probably were like this when you're a college coach. You don't have time to really concentrate on the NBA. But having, you know, the Notre Dame responsibility off my back, so to speak, I, you know, it's been interesting to watch the game and it's different, but i tell you what, and, and you were mentioning it about the atmospheres, the, uh, the atmospheres in the buildings and attendance set a record. It is a show. And, and I, I guess I kind of knew that, but concentrating on it, my gosh, is it exciting to watch? Mike, I, 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 here's what I said. I said I was in Vegas this weekend playing golf with a bunch of clowns. By the way, I took a thousand off a guy yesterday. He got a little drunk and started betting too much money, and next thing you know, he had a Venmo. He had to send a couple of Venmos, but I, dig- I digress. Uh, night before, a high school teammate and mine were out there, and we're, we're sitting in this restaurant. It's not really a bar; it's a restaurant off a casino, nice place, and there's no sound on the TV. And, Mike, that Sacramento Kings-Warriors game was going on. And the whole freaking place was one way or the other. I had no dog in the fight. I had, you know, I had been in. I'm just watching. And I'm screaming for De'Aaron Fox, right? That's kind of good stuff for basketball guys right there. Oh, man, that, that's what it's all about. You're right. I watched all day Saturday, all day yesterday, two great days of playoffs. And, and you know, you're kind of catching up and going, hey, Hey, I recruited that guy. Of course, I didn't get him. Maybe that's why I'm not coaching at Notre Dame anymore. I'm, I didn't get him. But I remember that guy when he was 14 and a knucklehead. And now he's hooping, you know, in, in Sacramento or Golden State or Atlanta. So, no, it's, a, it, it's interesting. And certainly this time of year is exciting with the playoffs. Mike, I want to talk about Pat Connaughton. I did not know this. So Connaughton comes. He was a baseball player. Last year, maybe his year before, like he's he's even this year he's balling. All of a sudden, I look and he's not playing. I didn't know if he was hurt or not, but that's kind of it happened to my 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 son's roommate Duncan Robinson signs a big deal. Everybody wants him with Miami. Now he's not playing. What the hell is going on here? You know, it's interesting. I I, I got to give him a call today. You know, they said ankle, but you know, you look and and and. Uh, They've got some other guys in that rotation now, and, and I wonder, like Duncan, it, I'm, you know, is he has he been pushed down? Now, the one thing about this guy, he's so unique. I would not put it past him because he's already won an NBA ring to try and pitch for the Orioles someday. I swear to God, this guy is so unique that he may go. Well, you know what? I'd max this NBA thing out. Let me go throw it 98 for the Orioles and see what happens. I wouldn't put it past Pat Connaughton. You know, you and I both know guys that played football. I bet you at Notre Dame there's like every football player was like, hey, coach, I could be in the NBA. Hey, right. coach, I could play. You know, you know what I mean? That's all. But Connaughton was legit as a guy that could do what you just said. This wasn't. This isn't made up. Exactly. Drafted by the Orioles after his junior year, 
throws it 98 to 100. He's just a big old freak of nature. You know, doesn't have a whole lot of that. I would say, what's the scouting report on him? I said, well, you know, still got to get some other pitches and everything. But I'm telling you, this guy is so unique, and he's got the ring already. Now, he has slocked in for a hell of a contract. But, you know, a pitcher, a great pitcher, what is it, 10, 12 million, 15 million? <laughs> he, he, he may, he, if anybody could pull this off, it, it would be him, but he would, he would leave us the day after the basketball season and go pitch for Notre Dame baseball and be fine. Just, just unique dude, man. See, I think that stuff is so cool because that's what you did in high school. You know, I mean, you just the season's over. You go play baseball, or you go run track, or you go do whatever the hell it is that you do. But you're not sitting around. No, the three, the, the old uh, multi-sport guys. There's just not not many of them. And you're right about football guys. Those guys are always in my gym. The football guys, and they all think they can hoop, and all they do is travel and foul each other. I was like, fellas, fellas. <laughs> Put your shoulder pads on and go knock the hell out of each other. You can't play basketball. <laughs> I remember Randy Moss when I was coaching against Marshall. Randy Moss, we had a big rivalry for it because I'm a big mouth and whatever. And he's like, Coach, I, I tell you what, I'm coming out for basketball. He was at the game. I'm coming out for basketball. I, ho- I said, I hope so because I heard you screw up teams. no that's a that's a great point hey danny i did want to say and you know him well because he's an indie native we're really excited about micah shrewsbury what what a what a great hire for us up here cathedral high school indianapolis jack swarbrick and i really the last six weeks it's been that's the guy we got to get and and i give my ad a a lot of credit. We got him. He's up here and making it work. I'm, I'm really excited for the program to have Micah. This is, I'm looking, the season's just over. You got snow in the background. We got NIL. We got transfer portal. You're not missing nothing. You're not missing it. It's funny. I saw on the ticker yesterday about the big kid from Syracuse going to West Virginia, and he made a comment. I'm like, I can't even look at it. Don't tell me about it. I don't want to hear about it. It's so refreshing not to deal with an admissions office, NIL, transfer portal. I, I did it. It was great, but I got nothing left in that tank. <laughs> hey, honest to God, I, I let's talk a little NBA. I have said this for years, and, and I'm curious your thought on this. Regardless of how old LeBron James is, you probably saw him when he was at St. Vincent, St. Mary's, and um, one of the things that I always said, I recruited his high school. Two of his teammates ended up going to Akron. Everybody in that high school, and I'm talking about, I talked to everybody, uh, cafeteria workers, uh, janitors, everybody at that high school just raved about LeBron James, even when he was driving a Hummer and everybody around him was losing their mind. Correct? <laughs> now, you know, it, it was amazing. And what broke my heart, Danny, you remember – on the front of his jersey, it said Irish. And and, and I would look at that and go, uh, 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 but we got no shot. Uh, 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 but we got no shot. And 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 uh, but and you know what's what's obviously other than the you know the the basketball talent is 
just, you know, off the charts, but what a good dude, man. What a family man. What a role, what a great guy. Like he comes to the peach jam to watch his son play. He talks to all us knucklehead college coaches and spend, you know, I just so impressed with how the grace that he's handled his career with. You know, Mike, uh, you're, you, when you sent Urban Meyer over to Bowling Green, one of the first times we had a conversation, he goes, hey, we're in my backyard. His backyard butted up against mine. He moved in next to me. And we're just having a beer. And he goes, hey, man, how good a player is this LeBron James kid? He's the best wide receiver in the country. I go, a kid from Cleveland? I go, how good? He goes, he goes, yeah, I'm the wide receiver coach at Notre Dame. He's the best. Is he really that good in basketball? I'm like, yeah, he's pretty good, coach. He's he's all right. He's got a chance. You know? Yeah, yeah, put that put that list away, you know, and you remember, Danny, you and I have kidded about this. When Urban came in my office and said, you know, Mike, let me get Bowling Green. And, you know, I said, well, you know, I said, I'll tell you what you do. You go grab Dan Dockich and pull him aside away from the AD and ask him what the real deal is. And every time I see Urban, he tells that story. He said, great advice, Mike, yeah. great advice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Urban was – he was great. I, here's the last thing on LeBron. I've said this, Mike, and, you know, you coached in leagues where you had two times you play a team, maybe three times. You can talk about LeBron being old. You can talk about the Lakers. But you still got to beat that guy four times in two weeks in an NBA playoff series. And, and I, you know, watching them yesterday, they are in a great position. I, everyone – has been kicking them in the ass all year, down on them, this, that. Now they are loose. How tight was Miami yes, or uh, Memphis? Now all of a sudden Memphis has got to deliver, and now it's they've got the weight of the world on them. I think the Lakers are in an amazing position, just, just hooping with nothing to lose, and they're healthy. Mike, you know, and, and, and you can say whatever you want. Is, is there, was there a guy in your time – you know, Leitner was kind of like that in college. And I want to get into Leitner and Brian Davis in a second. Was there a guy that you remember that changed the look of your players when you all played against them when you were at Notre Dame? You know what I mean? An opponent that you went, oh, man. And, and, and a great story. Amaker and I are assistants playing Wake Forest and Cameron and they, Dave Odom puts Tim Duncan in the game as a freshman. Nobody knows about him. Virgin Islands, nobody wanted him. And he goes for about five minutes, blocks three shots, two dunks. Tommy and I look at each other and go, oh, my God. And the rest <laughs> is history. <laughs> uh, Ron Felling was cleaning out his office one day, and he looked in a file and pulled out an unopened envelope from a guy in the Virgin Islands, he opened it up, and it was Tim Duncan's guy wanting him to be involved at Indiana. I oh. told him he didn't open it. I told him, burn that. Don't let Coach burn. Knight see that. He may kill burn. you. <laughs> burn that. The IU fans will hunt you down. Burn that. And, and you know, Danny, you and I, we've had ones like that where you go, like Sadiq Bay, who's playing great for the Atlanta Hawks, was nobody really wanted him out of D.C. He's kind of recruiting us, and we go another direction. And every time I see him, I go, I can't believe I did that. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
We did that with Steve Nash. I showed Coach Knight a video of Steve Nash. He goes, how's yep. that guy going? He played in a little box with the out-of-bounds line. It was like, you know, their gym was like St. Anthony's, right? And, and he's like, how's that guy going to play in front of 17,000 people? I, I don't know, Coach, but he's pretty good. I mean, I don't know, man. Oh, <laughs> man. Hey, Mike, when you when – you, can you compare you, – you're talking about watching the NBA um, – Coaching in the NBA, and I know you haven't done it, but you watch it. What do you see as the biggest difference between that and coaching in college? And I'm more talking about during the game. Yeah, you know, the the, the interesting thing that I've found, I'm watching teams, because there's so many possessions with a 24-second shot clock and a 48-minute game as opposed to 40. You know, I, like I watch a team and they go down 10, and I'm nervous for them when they're down 10 because, you know, in college, I'm like, uh-oh, we're in trouble. And the, the NBA coaches are like, eh, there's going to – all of a sudden they're back up one because of the number of possessions in a game is uh, interesting. Um, you know, they're they're really good at the you know, side out of bounds, under out of bounds. They really have good stuff, you know, in, in that – sense of it but uh it's just the the number of possessions like a college game the average would maybe be 68 to 70 there's over 100 possessions in an NBA game so you know i guess you can you can swallow some bad shots because you're going to get the damn thing back and get another chance you know mike 53s yesterday or saturday night i guess it was um for the golden state warriors now i know that's their thing are we becoming – I don't know how to put this. I don't know what we are becoming, but is basketball becoming a little 2-3 reliant or where are you at with that, that many threes, that type of offense? That's a great point. And to, and, and to concentrate on the league the last month, you hear the coaches and, you know, it, it's really a, a, a philosophical thing, this 3-and-D this guy. We want a 3-and-D guy, a guy who can guard and a guy who can make threes. And – it seems to me that's the trend. And just hearing a couple coaches talk about, you know, we want to shoot more threes. Here was an interesting point I heard a guy say, and I never thought of it like this, really crash the offensive boards. You know, I was a worried about transition defense. So it was like, get back, build a wall, everybody get back. I'm not worried about an offensive rebound. And I heard one coach saying, no, we're just going to bang the heck out of it because it helps our transition defense. I said, you know, I never thought of it that way. And and uh, if you look at the Hawks the other night against Miami down there, they just keep pounding the board. Miami could never get out. And and so it, it, there's some interesting trends in that league. But being able to shoot the ball, it's you know, it's funny. Through my 23 years, I don't know about you, Danny, when it would come down to competition for playing time in our program, the guy who shot it better usually got the minutes. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you know, we could we could make this game so deep and so analytical, but he can make shots. He can't. He's playing. <laughs> hey, Mike, I know exactly where I was as a freshman when Ted Kitchell, who was an All-American, told me, don't believe all that defensive crap here. If you can score, Knight's got to play you. You got to. There is no question. I've had guys come in and you're thinking, well, we got to redshirt them. 
And then all of a sudden he's scoring and go, can't redshirt him. I can't even take him out of the game. <laughs> you know, he's going. Now, I got to bring this up. I went and watched Air the other night. Saturday night, I went and watched Air. Very disappointed that were no clips of you shutting down MJ in the NCAA tournament. One of the great memories of the tournament ever. Can I add to that? Uh, can my my ego makes me do this? Okay, uh, that would, on a Sunday in 1984, according to Jordan, the day he signed his contract, myself, Alford, Michael Jordan, and Timmy Knight played golf. This is a true story. I swear, I'm a Catholic guy. I swear, <laughs> I beat him out of six grand that day, six thousand dollars. <laughs> On the day he signed his con, now he didn't pay. He tried to give me plain pocket jeans and all the crap that they got from, uh, you know, free for the Olympics, right? All the Polaroid cameras yeah. and all. I'm, so I'm like, maybe that'll make it in the movie, right? The day he's on the tee box, fifth hole at Bloomington's uh, college golf course. He's like, hey, man. I said, he goes, you want to bet more dockage? I go, I'll bet you whatever you want. He goes, I just signed my Nike deal today. I'm good. Let's go. That day. <laughs> Didn't make it in. Son of That's a, a great story. Now, now, seriously, I got to you, you just face guarded him. Did you just ride him all the time away from the ball, face guard the hell out of him? Uh, in the golf course, yes. On the, yeah. uh, on, <laughs> on the basketball court, Mike, you're in South Bend. I'm in Bloomy, or I'm in Indy. I guarded him from about me to you and said, hey, hope you miss. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Hey, let me ask you this. Uh, you you coached, I'll call it B.C., before Curry and after yeah. Curry. Steph Curry, like I was out of it, right? I mean, Steph Curry seems to me like he changed the mindset of kids in basketball once he got going. Kind of changed the game and the mindset, No. How many, uh, absolute, how many young guards coming up are all good with it off the dribble to their shot? Uh, Trey Young is that next generation of guys, and there's many of them, but they're all able to move it and get you off balance and be able to rise up. He has been the role model, and many of the next generation have imitated him. You just see it all the time. Plus, all their workout guys are putting them through Steph Curry stuff. Imitate them, imitate them, imitate them. And for some, it really works. For others, you know, maybe not so much. <laughs> you know, the idea of don't show them what you can't do is still very, yeah. very, very true. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> you know? No question. But, you know, and I'm watching the other day, and I'm watching Curry – and, you know, one of the things about Curry is, and I, I, I think you'd agree with this, that dude is like Patrick Mahomes to me in, in, in basketball. He tries on every possession. He, he's not one of those head hangers or he's not one of those guys not going to guard. I mean, he's trying to take a charge late in the game. That's what I admire about that kid. He, um, now he, he's, he, what a story, you know, again, our, our, this game is full of Davidson. Nobody really recruited him out of Charlotte. There's just great story. How about this guy Reeves? He's doing it the other night for the Lakers. I'm looking him up going, whoa, 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 whoa. Where's this dude from? 
you know, a little town in Arkansas, Wichita State, Oklahoma, not drafted. He looks like Maravich out there yesterday. He's whipping it behind his back, shooting step backs. And it's, it's, it, you just never know. And you know, in recruiting, and I'm sure the NBA, we always try and make it this exact science as we're evaluating. And hell, man, it, it, there's a lot of luck involved. How much different? How much different is because of facilities and 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 I guess just everything involved in college basketball? How, how much different is it now with kids getting in the gym more, eating right, being more conscious of what they do with themselves? Is, is there a big difference from when you were at Delaware to when you were here when you're Notre Dame? No, I think you know, Dan. It's amazing now, and especially the Power Five programs have NBA-like practice facilities, medical support, strength training support, and nutritional support. It is, it is, you got to have it. Um, Notre Dame built a beautiful one about four years ago. It's state-of-the-art. And you see young people, you know, being able to develop quicker. And I think there's such an education of understanding strength training, nutrition, taking care of yourself, it's there. It's all there. You've got the mental health resources now. You, you know, it, it 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 is a soup to nuts kind of thing now in Power Five programs. And I think you see kids again. When you look at the kids, you look at video from there was a game on from the eighties. Everybody was skinny. Everybody was skinny, and you know. And now you look at the bodies. Like the guards look like linebackers in college basketball like Florida Atlantic's team that you know and and what a job by a, an IU guy there and coach May but they're 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 all they're all built and physical which is which is why the game has been hard to get under control physically because everybody's got shoulders and a backside on them now there's no skinny guys Mike it, it really is amazing I mean I, I look at you know I, I've always wondered this. Um, you know, when steroids was really rocking and rolling and all that, I remember people asking me, you think steroids in basketball? I said, I don't. I never heard of it being in basketball, but I look at guys' bodies now and I think, I don't know. You know what I mean? It, it, it's amazing, you know, the, the, how young people develop now. And, of course, even in high school, the, as we know, the elite kids have – trainers and their families have them with workout guys and they're lifting weights you know back in our era we didn't touch a weight till we got to college and it was like oh oh this is part of it and and you know you you know i never lift you, you just played which ain't bad either you're just hooping all day and working on your game we've probably lost a little bit of that haven't we with guys not hooping as much yeah, you just go play, and then you you know you go and you do it again the next day. Mike, last thing, NBA NBA deal. What what team do you like watching? What 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 of all the teams you've said you watched a lot of it? Who who do you like? What what's your team that you like watching? You know, I, I um and they got beat yesterday, but I watched Memphis at Atlanta um, in the end of the regular season. They they seem to have a lot of parts, man. I know they're banged up a little bit, but. They were garden. They were long. Um, you know, they were they were really interesting. Certainly, Denver. Mike Malone used to work the Duke basketball camp when I was an assistant. I'd go, you know, he'd come in and he ran the ball handling station, man. And now he's one of the best coaches, <laughs> one of the best coaches in the NBA. And and I love, you know, you love kind of watching them play. And I certainly pull for Milwaukee, even though they're banged up now because of Connaughton. 
Mike, I appreciate it, man. Go shovel some snow. It's I'm a, let me, freaking let me get middle my, of April. Can you, I'm going to get my snowblower out, man. I, I can't, I, please, please, please. Come on. Take care, Danny. Love you. See you, brother. That is so good. That is so much fun with Mike Bray. Always is, always has been, always will be. But he's in the middle of snow. Like, <laughs> Granger, Indiana, I'm telling you, it's the worst weather in America. Now, he doesn't recruit there anymore. But when you drive, I used to drive. I lived, my hometown was Maryville, Indiana. It's over here in the northwest corner. Bowling Green was over here, and you had to drive across. Everything would be all right until you get into whatever that county is called in uh, South Bend. And it'd be like, Jesus, is this horrible? Holy cow, is this crap? But but anyway, Mike Bray, nice enough to join us. All right, I got a lot to get to. Some biggins we're throwing down. What is it about women and fighting at baseball games? And, of course, going to talk a little golf. Coming up, we got Chad Withrow. We got a bunch to get to. Stay right here. Man, I'm fired up. Sack the hell up and don't go anywhere. Don't at me. We'll be right back after this. Look, it's become all the rage, and I don't understand it. The biggins, big gals, the gals, throwing hands at baseball games and sporting events. The big gals, throwing hands in Walmarts. We always had it here in Indy. Like in Indy, we had the infamous, you can look it up, uh, actually Beach Grove with his south side of Indy. We had two ladies, man, they were throwing hands in a Walmart. Next thing you know, one of the seven-year-old sons of one of the biggins, he was firing shampoo bottles. It's a legendary fight in the world of Indianapolis Walmarts, Beach Grove in particular, where, by the way, they literally in Beach Grove had to put a police station outside the Walmart. That's how insane it was. But, all right, you go to a baseball game. Dylan said it absolutely right. We were talking about the fight that you're going to see, and he's like, so that's the thing that you do when you go to a baseball game? That's what you're involved in? Check this out and do yourself a favor. Look for any security anywhere at uh, Guaranteed Rate Field. There we go. There we go. Look at this idiot here waving him up. Where is any security? Any. It's not going to end either. This is going to stay there for a little bit. It is going to continue. There we go. Watch the girl here. One of these girls gets mad and goes around. She wants peace to everybody. Here she comes. Here she comes in the black. Yeah. Yeah. Whoa. It's look at our left. 
A left bite. Oh, and then we're tackling him. Here we go. Where is security? There is nobody there. Nobody. All right, what's this guy going to do in the Jordan shirt? What's he got going? Here he comes. Pulling people away. All right, come on, honey. Time to go home. Look at a girl in the black. She's regrouping. She's telling these two that are sitting there having pee. Uh-oh, here comes kind of a security guard. I don't know what she's going to do in the red. All right. Look at these. Ah, screw it, she says. I'm not messing with these idiots. Bunch of crazy big old whiteies from the suburbs of Chicago throwing hands. The white, big and white women, man, they're just throwing hands. They're just throwing hands. They don't, they got their white sock shirts. Boom. I had a friend of mine say, uh, that's what they're calling white Sox women fans, the big old whiteies. They've got their white Sox jerseys on. They're there at the White Sox game. They're suburban, Lombard, Cicero, and they just come to throw the hands. Yeah. Go get them. Is that insane? And, and again, like, I don't know. I, I will tell you this, though. I, I am not um, – I, I will not shy away from the idea that Biggins fighting never disappoints. Uh, Biggins fighting will always be awesome to me. I mean, there is a bunch. There was another one in the outfield on the same day. Same thing. Big old white women from Lombard, Cicero, Brookfield, just throwing hands, beating the crap. And it never ends. It doesn't end. They just keep fighting. And there's no security. Used to be, true story, a friend of mine, uh, we were up in the upper deck at Comiskey right field, and he got in a fight with a guy, and they took them both to jail in Comiskey Park. There was like a little cell, and I'm like, you know, what do we do? We got to go get them. It will never, ever, 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 ever disappoint. And, I, you know, uh, you're making fun of people. Well, yeah. You don't think those people need to be made fun of? You don't think those people need to be publicly humiliated? You're out of your freaking mind. I can't make fun of them enough. I can't call them idiots enough. Not even a little. Not even sort of. I saw this the other day. Uh, actually, Aaron sent this to us, and I loved it. A little bit on the Biden administration. You got this one, Dylan? I love this. This is one of my favorites. I know, I know. Well, somebody could have got hurt. Nobody gets hurt. Kids are resilient. Just stop. Just stop. Can you play that again? That went awful quick for the good folks back at home. Can we can we cue that up again, as they say in the business? <laughs> Look at these two. Uh, I think the one right there was lucky to go down before the other one crumbled. That could have hit him right in the head. <laughs> I know we're not supposed to laugh. I know the world is so serious. I know we're all supposed to get angry. Whatever. Whatever. Look at that. That's good. <laughs> That's good stuff. I'm sorry. Hey, yesterday the golf was good. 
We were talking about Jordan Spieth. No, Jordan Spieth had not one but two putts to go ahead and win the daggone thing. He did. He had two putts. One looked like it was dead in. And next thing you know, it didn't happen. So U.S. Open champ Matt Fitzpatrick went ahead and got it done. Patrick Cantlay, you got to give Patrick Cantlay credit. Last week, Patrick Cantlay was given grief because he was very slow playing ahead of Brooks Kepka and John Rahm. There you see Matt Fitzpatrick. Well, Patrick Cantlay could have let it bother him. He responded, said, I don't know what you're talking about. He goes, I got the data. We were waiting on the people ahead of us. But Patrick Cantlay ended up 16 under, came in third place. Matt Fitzpatrick had a great round. He shot 63, the lowest of his professional career on Saturday, put himself in fantastic position, and Spieth was great. Spieth had two incredibly makeable putts, but in the three-hole playoff, third hole, next thing you know, Fitzpatrick put it like two inches, and the match was over. And I love that woman on the left, uh, Renner, because she always looks like she's smiling. She is. She's great. She's, oh, I don't know her first, Amanda Renner, maybe? She's married to a guy named Renner. I think she changed her name in the middle of the whole thing. But she is awesome because she always seems like she's smiling. Every interview she does, and I don't know if she is or not, but she just has one of those smiling faces. So congratulations uh, to Fitz, Matt Fitzpatrick. Terrific win. And congratulations to us. Because on a Sunday afternoon, that was a lot of fun. All right, Cody Bellinger, you remember him? Batted about a buck ten last year, was a former MVP of the Los Angeles Dodgers. He gets a round of applause, goes and gets a hit. All right? Steals a home run in the outfield. Actually, he's left-handed, so I think, so maybe it's that way. Second time he's up, he gets a round of applause. He gets a standing ovation, and he wants to take it in a little bit. Right, who, who can blame you? You only come back to where you had great success one time. You don't get to come back a first time except once. I mean, makes sense, no? Of course. So Bellinger figures it out. He's like, hey, you know what? They're going to give it to me, so I'm going to take a, take a moment here. Except, ladies and gentlemen, and people are mad about this. I am not. Uh, the pitch clock. The pitch clock got him. He was not in the box quick enough. It was a pitch clock violation. Now, some people are saying that's unfair, and maybe it is, but I don't care. Baseball is better. Baseball is markedly better. I'm going to get the numbers coming up here tomorrow, and I'm going to take, take you through them. But baseball is so much freaking better right now, it's not even close. Like, it's not even close. People are enjoying it more. People th- see con- a more condensed, action-packed, window to watch the game. So if once in a while something comes up like this, that's controversial, you know what? I don't know. I got news for you. Listen to this. The Shanghai Sharks. Remember these two names? Eric Bledsoe, Michael Beasley. They have been disqualified from playing in the China League. The current team has been disqualified. I'm not saying Beasley did. I'm saying the team for fixing. Point shaving fixing. Listen to this. The Dragons, which was the other team, were leading 100 to 96, two minutes to go, but the visitors committed five consecutive turnovers, 10 to zip run from the Sharks, who won 108-104 to clinch the series reach quarterfinals. Both head coaches and GMs were banned from the Chinese Basketball League, and they were fined. So, I mean, 
you got to be a little less obvious than to make five consecutive turnovers. Five. Oh, we're not fixing. Oh, we're not. What? What? Uh-uh. Uh-uh. No, we're not. You are. <laughs> five straight turnovers. Oh, man. All right, let me get back to the script. This was interesting. Weird world we live in. Yankees pitcher, listen to this. Dominique Germain was told to wash his hands during today's game after a sicky, sticky substance check, and he didn't comply. So the Yankees pitcher didn't go wash his hands. Now listen to this. Rocco Bardelli, who is the Twins manager, came out to complain, and he got ejected. So the guy that didn't do what the umpire wanted him to do doesn't get ejected. He gets to go on and pitch. Baldelli, who is the manager of the opposing team, goes out there, and by all accounts, again, I don't know what really was said. Of course we don't. We never know what's really said. But Baldelli goes out there, and he says, hey, the heck, what are we doing around here? Well, what they were doing around there was ejecting him. (laughs) So Baldelli had to take a hike, take a shower, pay a fine, all because he was trying to get the umpires to do what the umpires are supposed to do, enforce the rules. I got to tell you, been a tough year, and it's early. Been a very, very tough year for umpires. Very, very, very tough year. They'll figure it out. They'll be back in business. But this ain't been great. Let's put it that way. Not so far. All right. This is tragic news. There's a guy named Mikey Williams. Mikey Williams is a star recruit. At one point, he was probably top 15, 20, whoever you want to believe in the country, and he signed with Memphis. Mikey Williams is also a viral TikTok and social media star. Kids out of San Diego. So he, you think about it, here he is, time of his life, season's over. He's getting ready to second semester, senior year, probably go to prom, hang out. Next thing you know, Mikey Williams is in jail. Listen to this. Felony weapon charges, five counts of assaults. Individuals, including apparently Mikey Williams, at least to a certain degree, decided that they were going to fire shots, gunshots, into a car with a bunch of juveniles, teenagers. Something happened. Shots were fired. Argument, they learned, had transpired a couple days before. It carried over. You know, how ridiculous is this? We saw what happened in Alabama. We saw people killed, six people killed. That's as many, by the way, as was killed in Nashville in the school. So this is a mass murder. 20 injured in Alabama shooting at a freaking teenager's party. Sweet 16 party. Because these idiots just decide to go get guns. And by these idiots, I meant anybody that just thinks that life doesn't matter and you can just go get a gun and shoot up people. That can be this guy, assuming he did it. That can be John Moran's brother. Obviously, the guy that went into the school in Uvalde. Obviously, the guy that went into the school in Nashville and other schools. Idiots just think that they can get a gun, and it's a video game. Life is not a video game. You kill somebody, you're killing a lot of people. Family members, you're killing their soul. You're killing their brothers, aunts, uncles, brothers, cousins, parents. What are we doing? And we got all the deuces, one in the strap, one in the hole, and all the crap that idiots say. But I got to tell you, it's ridiculous. I saw a video of dude just shooting everybody around in Alabama, just coming out of the tree, shooting like it's a video game. Mikey Williams, I guarantee you, 
Guarantee it. Uh, unless he's in jail, Memphis will play him. Because he's good. And that's the world we live in. No accountability, no real accountability. I'll get to that later on with what's going on in Chicago. I want to talk some NFL. I want to talk some NFL with our friend Chad Withrow. Hot Mike, Chad Withrow, 3 to 6 Eastern, 2 to 5 Central. Joined by Chad next. Man, I'm fired up. Sack the hell up and don't go anywhere. Don't at me. We'll be right back after this. All right, you know him, you love him, you hear him. Chad Withrow of Hot Mike coming up here at 3 o'clock. Look, the network is starting. Charlie Arnold, a lot of you from Indianapolis know Charlie. She was all over Fox, I think it was Fox 59, and then she left, went to ESPN, WWE. She has left, and she's going to do a show right before ours, so we're going to be rocking and rolling as we take over media as you know it. Chad Withrow joins us. I did not get to see Succession last night. I do not want to talk about it because I want to watch it today as I take an afternoon nap. So I'm not getting into that with you. Uh, But I am getting into a couple of things. Chad, here's the deal. Here's what I'm looking at, if you don't mind. A lot of teams still looking for quarterbacks, including the New York football Jets. Now, As we get to the draft, Armando said to me, look, this deal has to be done with Aaron Rodgers and the Jets by day two of the draft. Where are you at with that particular scenario? Well, first off, Dan, congrats on having a lead-in now for your show with Charlie on board. So this is great. We're we're building up the entire day at OutKick. So I'm excited about that news that just broke uh, with Charlie joining the OutKick network and always a fun time joining you on the show. And We appreciate you joining us every Monday afternoon as well. On the Rodgers thing, it's going to happen. You know, it it really is just a matter of time. And we talked to Armando weekly on our show as well, and and he's saying the same thing. I'd be shocked if it didn't happen uh, either on the day of the first round on Thursday, a week from Thursday. Gosh, we're we're 10 days away right now. Or on that Friday. Um, It's really the Jets that have all the pressure. And people don't believe that when I say it, but – the Jets have outwardly stated that Aaron Rodgers is their hope. All of their hopes and dreams rest with Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers has publicly stated after his isolation retreat that he wants to be traded and he wants to play for the New York Jets. So all the pressure now is on the Jets to make this happen. And the Packers can sit back and say, look, we're kind of in rebuilding mode either way. We're, we're in no rush. He's under contract with us. Yeah, we don't want him to play here. But it's not like the Packers are going for broke. The Jets are the team that's going for broke right now with that roster, that young roster getting better, and then coupling that with Aaron Rodgers. So I expect the Jets to get desperate enough to match whatever or meet whatever demands the Packers are throwing out there. I would expect it to happen sometime next week, and then we can finally put this thing to bed. See, I like the fact that the Packers are not just giving this guy away. I like, I mean, it's seemingly, well, you and I aren't involved in the meetings, but it seems like the Packers are saying, yeah, this is great, but we're not giving this away. We got leverage here, and they do have leverage there, assuming Rodgers wants to play. 
Absolutely. I mean, they're saying, look, you've stated it. He stated it. So come get your guy. Here's the price. Meet meet the price. And, and you've got them. You know, we can move on and you can have them. But I think it's a, a point of strength right now for Brian Gudenkust and the Packers to say, we could also just keep him under contract. And then you could be a failure. I mean, think of the failure that will be the New York Jets if they state this is what they want done. Their social media team is tweeting cute little things about Aaron Rodgers joining the team, and they're retweeting links of the McAfee show when he joins, and then they fail to make it happen. That's what I mean when I say all of the pressure is on the New York Jets to get this thing done. And I think they will make it happen, even if it takes giving up something they don't want to, which is a first another first-round pick in this deal. I think it's going to happen sometime next week. You know, I was reading up on it. It's really interesting, this quarterback thing between Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud. I, 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 it, here's what's interesting to me. I'm watching all this, and I'm saying, all right, I want to hear from somebody that one of these two guys is the generational quarterback, is the must. I don't get the impression – I get the impression both of these guys are going to start and play and play a long time and all that kind of stuff. But I don't get the impression that these two guys are in, you know, Andrew Luck, whatever guy you want to name as a great prospect. I don't get the impression these two guys. I think there's a lot of questions here still. So Trevor Lawrence is a recent example that comes to mind. I go back to Andrew Luck. Just a can't-miss guy, right? You know that well, Dan and Indy, with Luck. That was another one that was just a no-brainer. He's going to be the number one pick. He's got everything you'd want in a quarterback. Trevor Lawrence has kind of been the next guy. It's been a while since you've had that, but Trevor Lawrence was the next guy. He's got the size. He's got the athleticism. He's got the moxie. He's got all the intangibles and the tangibles you want to see in the quarterback position. And with Bryce Young, I look at him and I say, if he's 6'3", then we're talking about Bryce Young the same way we do Trevor Lawrence or, or Andrew Luck. But he's not. He's five foot ten, and not only is he five foot ten, he's got almost a basketball point guard build. You know, he played at about 175 pounds. He may get up to 190, but his preferred playing weight is going to hover probably between 180 and 190 pounds. So he's a light guy. He's got a thin frame, but you want to talk about moxie and intangibles? This guy is a talented thrower of the football. Best way I can describe him. He can throw different velocities. He can throw different arm angles. He can put the ball in tight spots. He can improvise when needed. When he gets rushed, he is almost more dangerous when he can buy himself a little bit of time. He's got all of those abilities. I I, I look at Bryce Young, and I think he's hands down the best quarterback in this draft, and it looks like the betting markets now show that he will go number one overall to the Panthers, which I expected to happen all along, even when – the betting market started to shift in the favor of C.J. Stroud a bit. I look at Bryce Young and think he's the best quarterback in this draft, and if anyone is going to be a generational-type franchise quarterback, it's him. But I also can't sit here with a straight face, Dan, and tell you today that I have no reservations at all about his size. I I do. We've seen shorter quarterbacks in the league fare well, but I look at even Drew Brees and certainly Russell Wilson, and I see guys that were a bit stockier. You know, that had a little bit more meat on their bone, for lack of a better phrase, than, than what you see with Bryce Young. So I would be a little bit concerned about wear and tear and, and getting beat up in the NFL. But from a play standpoint and an ability to throw the football and all of the intangibles you want to see in the leader of your team, I think Bryce Young has all of those in spades. And for that reason, I believe he's hands down the number one overall pick. 
if you were the Colts and things stayed as they were and it's going to be Young and Stroud and then who knows and then, you know, either Richardson, Levis, what would you do? Would you entertain trading down? So if it stays as is, I would entertain trading down because I'm not drafting Will Levis if, if I'm the Colts. Again, this is just me speaking. I'm not a Will Levis guy. Now, I think what we have going on right now, Dan, is a little game of uh, of cat and mouse between the Colts and the Cardinals. All of these reports suddenly have these the, these uh, these pundits saying that, oh, it's Will Levis for the Colts. Colts love Will Levis. They're going to be fine with Will Levis. That's who they want to draft. Part of me thinks all of this is being done to get that news out there so the Cardinals believe that they can take someone else because the Colts don't really covet Anthony Richardson. Now, what the Colts need to realize is if they want Anthony Richardson, none of that's going to work. They're going to have to trade up to number three. They're going to have to trade up one spot and get him because someone is going to jump them and get Anthony Richardson. So I think part of this is whatever the asking price is from the Cardinals, the Colts believe that it's so steep they don't want to move up and get Richardson, even if they want him. And part of me suspects they actually want Anthony Richardson and not Will Levis. But that the price is so steep right now, they're putting all these reports out there through people that they really love Will Levis just to try to get the price down from the Cardinals and what they're going to get in return. Now, the problem with that is, if it's true, you look at who, where Richardson has visited with the Titans, with Vegas, this week, he's going to visit the Falcons. He's going to visit the Ravens also. These teams all draft after the Colts. So the Cardinals are going to get a, a bigger – they're going to get a bigger loot if they deal with one of those teams that's further back from the Colts in the draft. And that's the big issue right now is I, I think those teams are going to be willing to give up more to move up more spots to draft Anthony Richardson. So – my advice to Colts would be, if you're serious about Anthony Richardson, all this is a smokescreen around Will Levis, you better do what's necessary to trade up that one spot and make sure you get Anthony Richardson and especially keep Anthony Richardson away from your division rival in the Titans if, in fact, the Titans want this guy. Yeah, you know, it, it is interesting because Will Anderson, Jalen Carter, those type of guys, you trade down, maybe you can still get them. You know what I mean? I mean – it's an interesting scenario. When I first thought about the trading down scenario for the Colts, I thought, eh, I don't know. But I will say this. If you like Richardson or you like Levis and he's there, I, I, you got to take him. You just have to. You can't jack around, in my opinion. If you love him. I mean, that's the key thing you said right there, Dan. If, if you love them, you, you got to get it. A buddy of mine sent me a text. My buddy Jacob over the weekend made a lot of sense. He said, Teams need to stop taking bad players just because they play the quarterback position. And he's talking about a lot of the love for Anthony Richardson right now. And I have reservations, too, about his inconsistent play. Now, Richardson's a guy that just has an enormously high ceiling, but he's also got an enormously low floor. He could be an absolute bust if you watch him play at Florida and look at that inconsistency. But, I mean, he's got all of the... The athletic factors, though, that you look at, and they're going to wow people as well. So I understand the appeal of Anthony Richardson. But so many times we've seen teams desperate to find the quarterback that they're going to – Deshaun Kaiser to the Browns just immediately comes to mind. They're going to see a guy that's got some qualities but doesn't have the total package, but they freak out and say, we got to take this guy. 
because he plays quarterback and he's just the best quarterback available and we need a quarterback. So we must take this quarterback just because he plays that position. And I see those moves now. And I think if you like Jalen Carter, let's say as an example, or some other player that you believe is absolutely elite at their position and will be a top two or three player in the league at that position in short order and be an all pro for you, go get that guy instead of reaching after a quarterback you don't love. But I'm 100% with you. If you love one of these guys, Hendon Hooker is an example in this draft. If you're drafting top 10 and you love Hendon Hooker, draft Hendon Hooker top 10. It is a quarterback you don't – sorry, it is a position you don't wait on with the quarterback. So you don't wait until later in the first round and think, well, I can probably get him then. If you truly love the guy, draft him whenever. But if you don't, I would also advise not to reach and just go get the best player you believe can help your team in that spot and let someone else – swing and possibly whiff on that quarterback that's got a ton of questions about them. I agree, and you cannot let the media or you can't – you just can't let anything influence that. You're paid to do a specific job, and really, let's be honest, as a scout or general manager, this is what you're paid for. You're, you're paid to figure this out and take in a position like the Colts four or three or two or one, somebody you absolutely love. Not a guess. I I, I don't. I. I, It just drives me nuts that the Colts have guessed on this. And you know the Colts have they guessed on what's his face uh, Wentz and then tried to sell it. They guessed on the worst year that Matt Ryan had and then tried to sell it. You know what I mean? You can't do that. That's not happening. It's not working. And it's it's all out of fear, Dan. I really think it is. And this is what I mean by fear. Draft that quarterback. You're so nervous. Even if you don't love him, you're so nervous that you're going to pass on that guy and fans and media are going to talk bad about you because someone else drafts that quarterback and they turn out to be better than you expected with all of your preparation and all of your scouting. You expected the player to be worse. They turn out to be better in a different system for a different team and you're going to be ostracized by the media for being the GM that passed on that quarterback when you needed one. I think it almost takes more bravery to say, we don't like the guy. We don't like the quarterback, and we're not drafting him, so we're going to draft this other position that we really believe in instead. I, I think that's that's being more courageous and more sure of yourself as a general manager when you do that and say, hey, consequences be damned. If this guy goes to this other team and lights it up, then so be it, but we don't believe in this, this person based on our evaluation, and we're going to go draft someone that we do believe in. But instead, nine times out of ten, the GM is going to, out of fear, Take that quarterback that's there because they fear the possible consequences if that guy's drafted shortly after the after that pick and he goes on to be a star quarterback. I, you know what? Uh, there's a saying in coaching, and I'm sure it's the same in GMing. If you listen to fans, you end up sitting with fans, to your point. That's it. Uh, absolutely. And media. You know, I think also, you know, we look, Same we're thing. in the business of this day. We're, we're talking for hours every day, you and I, right, about sports, and we're sharing our opinions, whether people like them or not. We're talking about our opinions, but I, I, I wouldn't trust any GM or coach that, look, they, they should listen to everyone. If they hear a good idea, they should use it, regardless of where it comes from. But you also don't want the coach or GM that's taking what the media says or what fans says wholeheartedly and believing, well, I must do that because so many people believe this. Now, if you hear something smart or something you can use, take it from all walks of life, wherever you hear it, whether it be a talking head 
on TV or a columnist or whatever it may be, but you can't take it as gospel from fans and media when they say it. And I always admire the coaches and GMs that go about their job and do what they feel is best based on their experience and their years of training ahead of what other people say. I, I, I totally agree. Bijan Robinson getting a lot of love. I just saw one of these draft guys had only him and Bryce Young as absolute studs can't miss. You guys have a town where the, the star, the best player, is a running back. Is it worth taking a running back in the first, first round? Normally, I would say no. Um, so it's a tough one because I do think Saquon Barkley, you, you look at him, you know, he's worthy of a first round pick. Derrick Henry, who you mentioned with the Titans, that's a guy that is worthy of a first round pick, even though he went in the second round when the Titans drafted him. I just fundamentally, Dan, even when they're great, and Bijan Robinson is a great running back, I cannot draft running back that early. It is proven time and time again. You can go third round and beyond and get a quality running back that can play this position in the NFL. And they are just so disposable right now. And I hate to say that about a position that I grew up loving. That was one of the prime positions in the NFL for years and years, 80s and 90s. Do you have a star running back? It's just no longer the case. There are three or four guys in the league that are difference makers that when they were drafted are probably worthy of a first-round pick. Outside of that, I can get undrafted guys. I can go get guys late in the draft that can do the job of NFL running back, and because of their workload, because of injuries, it's just better asset allocation to go and get guys later in the draft at that position. And I just firmly believe that. So while someone is going to take Bijan Robinson in the first round, and maybe Jameer Gibbs from Alabama sneaks into the back end of the first round, if I'm a GM, that's a strong belief I have. I don't. I'm never taking a, a running back in the first round ever, never again. Man, you're so right about what it used to be. Like Walter Payton, I'll argue with anybody. Walter Payton's the best football player I've ever seen. I, I mean, I get it. There's there's different generations, but everybody had a guy. And Peyton was our guy in Chicago and was, in my opinion, did everything that you need to do. And now, to your point, you know, I, it's almost specialized. You got to get a left tackle. You got to get, obviously, a quarterback. You got to get a wide receiver. You got to get a corner back. You got to get an edge rusher. And really, you can fill in everything else. You can't, like the Colts built it from inside. And to a certain degree, if that Burks kid doesn't play really well, um, Colts and the Titans remain the same team almost. Yeah, and it's just, look, it, it's very rare you see a team that says when it's winning time late in the game, we got to get the ball to our running back. And the Titans are one of those teams with Derrick Henry. I mean, that, that when it's winning time, he's carrying the ball in the fourth quarter. And that can be fun to watch, and it's different, and it is a throwback, and I enjoy it. But it's just not reality in, in today's NFL. Your quarterback is your winning time player. I even look at the Giants, and I think, you know, when they were up against it this year, Daniel Jones had a great year because he was much better. And he was much better in the fourth quarter. Daniel Jones, the guy with the ball in his hands, late in the game when you need a drive, and it's not just handing the ball off to a running back over and over. So the game has changed a lot over the years, obviously. Hey, Chad, before I let you go, a couple of things. If you were, let's just say, quarterbacks are gone, all right? People are not, or at least what I've seen, Will Anderson came into the year with all this hype. Did Will Anderson have a bad year, the kid from Alabama? 
No, he didn't have a bad year. You know, there was the, the, the most high-profile game of the year was Tennessee and Alabama. That was one of the highest-rated games of the season. Great game. He was neutralized in that game. I, I, I remember being at that game and thinking, I turned to Clay Travis, who was at the game with me, and said, have we heard Will Anderson's name all night? That was also a game where Darnell Wright, who was matched up with him, probably moved into the top 15 of the NFL draft that we'll see next Thursday as a pick because of how he neutralized Will Anderson. So he wasn't great in the biggest game of the year, but he didn't have a bad year. There was a lot of special attention paid to Will Anderson based on his reputation and based on his production throughout his career. I think Will Anderson, Dan, is the classic case of it's just so quiet around him. There's no huge red flags personally with him, right? There's no big off-field issues. He hasn't done a ton to impress since the draft. He's just been sort of static. And the guys who remain static and just really good and maybe not great, those are the type of guys who start to get deemed late in the process. Those are the type of guys that you look up and suddenly, oh, well, there's questions about Will Anderson, when in reality, there's not really questions. There's just silence on Will Anderson. So we start to feel the need to nitpick, I feel like, a little bit with guys like him, even if there's nothing really to nitpick with his game. I, I love Will Anderson and think he's going to be a great edge rusher for someone. Does Stetson Bennett, one, get drafted, two, make a team? He will get drafted. I think it'll be very, very late. I think someone's going to try to pick him probably sixth, seventh round um, before he goes to undrafted free agency. And... I'm going to say, just because I'm tired of betting against Stetson Bennett, that yes, he will make an NFL 53-man roster this season. I agree. I mean, a lot of talk about him. I guess he's moving up. I don't know. All right, my man, look forward to talking to you guys this afternoon. Thank you. Thanks for coming on. Dan, always fun. Can't wait to talk about your Vegas trip coming up later on our show. Appreciate it, man. Baby, thank you. Yeah, I'll talk about that. At Chad Withrow. There you go. Uh, Outkick is absolutely rolling. We do. We welcome. We do. We welcome. Charlie Arnold, you know her, you know her, you love her. Yeah, click the uh, subscribe, ring the bell, get the alerts, thumbs up, all that good stuff. We're absolutely rolling on YouTube. We love our YouTube crowd because, well, they bring it every day. They don't mess around. I mean, they got it going every stinking day. And frankly, we have a question out there right now. And this is the kind of stuff that we, we must know. This is life-changing stuff. Who, I will read this right, who is the most influential player in basketball? Is it A, Steph Curry, B, Austin Reeves? I will let you figure that one out. I'll let you do that. You guys can do that. Uh, a lot of people on the YouTube chat are saying, no, you don't draft a running back. I don't know, man. I don't know. We can argue who's the best football player or running back you ever saw. You know, older guys will tell you Earl Campbell. Older guys will tell you Walter Payton. I'll tell you Walter Payton. I will. I, oh, some guys, if you can take out the double homicide, <laughs> some guys will tell you the greatest they ever saw was O.J. Simpson. Others will tell you. Eric Dickerson, there was a time, ladies and gentlemen, where the running back would get it 40 times a game, where the running – it wasn't necessarily throw it out to the running back. It was pitch it out to the running back, hand it off out here. Now running backs are here. Uh, Dan, can you come coach the Cavs? I'm tired of J.B. Bickerstaff. You're in the playoffs, El Presidente. 
You're in the playoffs. You lost a game. Jalen Brunson, hard to play against, playing his brains out. The Dallas Mavericks made a ridiculous move getting rid of him. It should have been Brunson and Doncic as a dynamic winning type duo. And now they're in their mode of they're filling what they had. Dan, fans watch ESPN, think they're draft experts. It's done. No one knows who'll be good. They got a guy on there named Matt Miller. For some reason, Matt Miller has always been on my backside. Matt Miller has crushed me every time he got, I've never met Matt Miller. I don't know who Matt Miller is. But Matt Miller's resume is like he was a line coach on a peewee team. And now, because I think Matt Miller built up his Twitter following, I think Matt Miller's now a guy on ESPN. Uh, Dan, please let us know what restaurants you dined at in Vegas. You want me to really tell you? I'll tell you. Uh, I got there Thursday, played blackjack, went to bed around 9. Friday, got up, played, uh, did the show, played golf, and I'm being literal here. Tea time, first one, Rio Seco, 10 o'clock. We got back at dark. We kept playing and playing and playing. Drank 8 million beers while we were playing. Is one of those days where you had no responsibility. Like my phone was off. There was, I, I, and we kept playing the eighth and ninth hole with a group of eight at this gorgeous course called Rio Seco. And we got in. I went back, uh, went up to the hospitality room. We had a little suite with a hospitality room. There was eight guys there. Uh, sat there, looked around, said, nope. Went to my room, took a shower. Was in bed by 8.30. True story. I was so freaking tired. I mean, I was sunburned. Oh, was I tired. Uh, and then Saturday, we got up, had breakfast. Every day, Eggs Benedict, really good. Went and played golf. Came back. Only one round. Got back around 5. Took a shower. A little bit of a nap. Watched some NBA. Played some craps. Then my buddy Mike Paulson and I went to a restaurant. I forget what it was called. I could look it up. It's a one-word American place in the Mirage. Had a $32 hamburger, and it was really good. I was in bed by 9.30 that night. Won a couple hundred bucks. Won 100 bucks betting, uh, 200 bucks betting uh, on the Kings to win. And then, ladies and gentlemen, um, yesterday, played, took a shower, Went to the airport, sat around. But I got to tell you, the first person I saw in Vegas, I got up to do the show. I'm walking around with my laptop. It's like 5.30 in the morning Vegas time. I'm walking through the casino. First person I saw was a big old, had to be, I'm I'm saying a professional woman here. Big. Just hanging out. I mean, hanging out. The the bra was like, or whatever she was wearing was like below the the, the proper nipples. Then she had underwear on that were dudes' underwear, and they, she rolled them up, and she's sitting in all her bigness at a freaking uh, slot machine. And then I look, and she's smoking a fatty. I mean, a fatty the size of my head. Just looking like a miserable, it was the first person I saw. And I'm like, good for you, lady. God bless you. Good for you. You're out here getting it done. When others are sleeping, money doesn't sleep. Money never sleeps. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. My Vegas stories have really gone downhill. 
My Vegas, I've never been hooker guy. I want that very clear. I've never been hooker guy. Never. Ever. I'm not porn guy. I'm not hooker guy. Uh, I'm, you know, too ugly to be pickup guy. I just hang out guy. Everybody's got their role, right? I'm hang out guy. You want to hang out? You want to have beers till three in the morning? I'm your guy. Used to be. I'm your guy. Not doing shots. I probably didn't do a shot of anything in 25 years. Now I don't mind them because I don't pee so much. My doctor told me, you know, eh, beer's going to make you go to the bathroom. Eh, do a shot and sit there. I don't like that because it makes me, I'm, I get too stupid. I don't know. But anyway, so I'm hangout guy. But I got to tell you, I got more sleep in Vegas than I got any time at home until last night. But hey, it is what it is. So I'm sleep guy in Vegas. My Vegas lifestyle is not exactly, not exactly what it should be. But I will tell you this. I was down 500. My brother and I were down to my nephew and his buddy. They're agents out in L.A. They, won, uh, they work for CAA. So they had just won 6,400 the night before. My brother and I are down 500. I just saw Sean Black said, scared money don't make money. It's exactly right. We could have been scared money. I have this thing in gambling. You ready for it? I'll share this with you. Anytime I play poker, I hang around, hang around, and I always win late. This is since eighth grade when we played a game called Tripoli. I used to win late. Golf, I hang around, hang around. Then I birdie number 17 for like a boatload of money. Boatload. Next thing you know, we turn a 500 deficit against a bunch of guys that are great guys that wanted to gamble into a $1,000 profit. That's right. My brother and I both made a grand, a grand each, and we made them pay. I felt bad about making them pay, and then I got over it. Die in front of me, on the ground, from with her brain exposed on the sidewalk in Chicago, but getting doored by a car. What? What? I'm a really fun guy to hang with. I'm a great guy. I'll tell you stories. I'll make fun. You can cut on me. But I got to tell you, uh, if no. Vegas, if I'm golfing, playing all day, I get some sleep. We'll be right back. Man, I'm fired up. Sack the hell up and don't go anywhere. Don't at me. We'll be right back after this. All right, stock up, stock down. You ready, ladies and gentlemen? I certainly am. Look, stock up the fans of the Sacramento Kings. My goodness, did they show out, did they show up, and did they get after it? My God, it was loud. It was fun. It showed up so good on TV. It looked like the Golden, excuse me, the Golden State Warriors were encompassed. Now, I don't know why the hell there's a little kid in the front row. Save the kid at home. Get your big purse. You're in Sacramento. Everybody in Sacramento should be standing. 
I mean, it's not like you're high society in Sacramento. Yes, I understand it's the state capital, but let's be honest. It's sat town, baby. Get up, get loud, get crazy, and let's go. That's it. But they did. They really did. And I would also say stock up to the men and women of the Sacramento Kings for building it back. Mike Brown has done a terrific job as a coach. De'Aaron Fox is out of this world. Good Good to see Trey Lyles out there uh, balling some. But, man, I, you know, Malik Monk, it's two Kentucky guys leading the way. Both dropped 30-plus, 30 38 for, for Fox. It was fantastic. It was fun. It was great. I cannot watch the rest. I cannot wait to watch the rest of this series. I do think this, though, I do think it's going to be very difficult for Sacramento to win this series. I just felt like, man, did they play great. And I'm going to bet game two. I'm going to bet on Golden State today, tomorrow, the next day. I am. And by the way, I'm tired of Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook, you NBA players are the biggest little batches in the world. You talk crap about everything. You talk crap about everyone. And when somebody says something to you, you whine. Russell Westbrook, heated exchange, coming in, Drops the MF around him. Ah, screw you, Russell Westbrook, and the rest of you NBA players complaining about the fans. You'll be just fine. Nobody's going to hurt you. You'll be just fine, Peaches. Well, man, you can't. Shut up. Just shut up, NBA players. Just go out and ball. You don't need to act like you're tough. None of you are. You should be. I mean, you're the best athletes in the world, and you're built like crazy. But you guys are just such spoiled little weenies. Don't worry about the fans. Everybody's worried about the fans. We got the fans. They're mad. I tell you who should be worried, and I said this when he got him, Steve Sarkeesian. Good for Steve Sarkeesian. I don't know how many people saw this, but the other day it was the Texas Longhorns spring game. After the spring game, Quinn Ewers, the returning starting quarterback, former number three prospect uh, in high school a couple years ago, is and has been named the starter for the Texas Longhorns over highly acclaimed freshman Arch Manning. Now, Arch Manning, because the Mannings are the most popular, and I got to tell you, I'm getting tired of the Mannings. I am. I'm getting a little tired of the Mannings. I, I, I don't feel good saying that because I know in Indianapolis, if uh, if Peyton Manning says, hey, guys, oh, God, that guy's a, oh, he's a hoop. Now oh, Peyton's a hoop. And I'll tell you this, Peyton really bringing Eli out of his shell, it's good to see. Shut up. I was in Vegas. There they are, MGM, Manning's this, Manning that. I don't know. But remember this. Remember, Arch Manning is named after Archie Manning. Archie Manning, the father of Peyton and Eli Manning. Uh, These are helicopter parents now. Remember, Eli Manning was drafted by San Diego. Eli Manning's daddy said, we ain't playing in San Diego. Eli Manning's daddy orchestrated a trade to the New York Giants. A good move for everybody except for San Diego. Really good move. But it points to a larger issue. These guys are helicopter parents. Not to the degree that that one clown John Moran's daddy is, but they have shown themselves, at least Arch has shown himself, to be the kind of guy that wants to pull all the strings. And don't think. Don't think that Cooper's son, Arch, the man who's going to keep the Manning legacy going, don't think that he and his people are going to be immune to the helicopter parenting. And this could end up being a problem. It is all fine when you say, well, you know, we hope that Arch has to sit for a year because he needs to develop. 
I've seen enough tape on Archie Manning or whatever, Arch Manning. He's a good player, a really good player, but I don't know if he's his uh, uncle's. I don't know if he's the number one player in the country if his name ain't Manning. I'm just saying. Then I watched all his passes in the spring game. He's a good player. He's a really good-looking freshman. But again, you take and switch the names, I don't know what we're saying. So good for Steve Sarkeesian to say, hey, wait a second here. Hold the phone. We're going to start yours. He's better. He's more efficient. And he should be. He's been there, and he's a big-time prospect. But hang on to your hat when it actually comes to fruition when Arch Manning isn't playing game four. Let's see what happens then. Let's just see. Because most times, yeah, 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 we go along with it as parents. And then when something happens, when it actually happens and it doesn't involve our son playing or being a star, our mentality changes. So good Good on you, as the millennials say, because they're trying to be Ted Lasso. Good on you, Steve Sarkeesian. Good on you. Uh, Uncle Koo says Arch Manning is really good regardless of his name. I'm just telling you what I saw, Uncle Koo. I'm just telling you what I saw. And what I saw absolutely 1,000% did not blow me away. Maybe I'm wrong. I hope I am. I got no problem being wrong about it. I hope he's good. Seems like a great kid. Obviously, fantastic family. But do not ever think for a second that this is just, well, you know, we're going to let the thing play out itself. We'll just let it play out, and old Art's going to have to play. And if he plays well, he's going to get to play. And if he don't play well, he ain't going to get to play. Uh-uh. <laughs> you buy that. Uh, uh, pull this, and it does what? Plays Jingle Bells. All right, Brian Davis. Brian Davis was a big-time wheel when Duke won a couple national championships. Leitner was the star. Uh, Hurley was kind of the everyman. They had Thomas Hill. Grant Hill was the guy that everybody kind of thought was going to be the next Jordan. He may have been, but he got hurt. But Brian Davis, big, strong wing guy, really smart. Brian Davis, stock up. You know what he just did? He just outbid. Josh Harris, the owner of the Devils, the owner of uh, – what was the other team he owns? uh, The Sixers, excuse me, I had a brain fart there. He came in with a higher bid, going to be the first African-American NFL owner. How cool is that? I think that's very cool. I do. I think that is very, very cool. And frankly, I hope he gets it. Always seemed like a good dude. I remember reading about him. He's a D.C. native, and I remember reading about him that he was building a business conglomerate, and there it is. When you can put together a group that's going to outbid a guy like Josh Harris, who already owns two franchises, you're doing some pretty good things. Stock up Duke basketball. Stock up Brian Davis. You know what we do at Indiana? Uh, Quinn Buckner talking a lot on TV, or me. We need, we need multi-bazillionaires. Michigan State's got one in the Ashiba guy. All these other places have one. I need to start putting together my portfolio. I need to get a private equity firm going and see what we can do. Yeah. Five months after being shot. How about that? After being shot. Do you remember this? University of Virginia football. A couple guys killed. Unbelievable tragedy. 
One of their own did the shooting on a field trip from campus. Well, five, five years or five months after being shot, and it's just amazing to say that, Mike Collins returned to the field. Mike Collins scored a touchdown in the spring game. Now, ladies and gentlemen, that's a hell of a story. That's a good story. That's a great story. Look, it, is, it was incredibly emotional. Trey Wallace did a fantastic article on it for OutKick. But you know what? Deshaun Perry, Lavelle Davis, Devin Chandler all passed away. They did a moment of silence. And Mike Hollins ended up scoring a touchdown. That is pretty, pretty, pretty cool. No, that is very, very cool. Because if you remember last year, two games were canceled at the end of the year by UVA. Obviously, the football program in a big-time disarray. But Mike Hollins, once again, using sports to show what courage really is. Look, it's not courageous to make a putt. I get it. A guy doesn't do things and go, oh, man, that was courageous. He had a wedge shot or he had a baseball. I get all that. But true courage comes with fighting back from tragedy, and that man right there did exactly that. Pretty good. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, the news of the weekend, Harvard softball moved into first place. That's right. I said it. I meant it. Harvard softball swept rival Yale. Uh-huh. They did. The great Tegan Shaw seen right there. Couple of hits. No hitter thrown. Harvard softball currently leads the Ivy League. They're up one half game. They play Princeton. Guess where Lee and I are going this weekend? That's right. We will be in New Jersey rooting on Harvard softball, taking on Princeton in the games of the century. That's right. I said it. Games of the century. Why are you arguing with me? Game of the century. Harvard against Princeton. And we ain't even mad about it. Not even a little bit. Can't wait for it. Tegan Shaw is a stud. Absolute stud. Don't at me either. Don't even think about adding me. So good for Harvard softball. They went into Yale. No, they didn't. It was at home. It was at home because they had Puppy and uh, what they have? Furry Night and Gay Pride Day or, or whatever that, whatever they called it. I don't know. Hey, guess what? Stock down. Looters in Chicago. That's right. What a shock. Bunch of teenage kids decided we're going to go be idiots. Let's have a look. There we go. Hey. I mean, at some point, I think, in Chicago, the National Guard must be called in. I think at some point in Chicago, you kind of got to sort of maybe get a handle on this stuff. I mean, a bunch of kids decided we're going to go through the streets of Chicago. We're going to tear stuff up. We're going to try to get into museums. We're just going to stand on police cars. Ah, it's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah, that's what we're going to do. It's a crap hole right now. Look at this. This is just going on in the streets of Chicago because, well, they can't. What do you mean they? Well, these guys. I mean, I know we're not allowed to say uh, what most of these guys look like, and that's fine. But regardless of what folks look like, this has to be stopped. Just burn cars. Just mill around. Just loot places. Just run around the streets and start tearing, just shoot people. 
Now, I want you to listen to this. I want you to listen to the idiot that they just elected as mayor. Ready? It's not constructive. The mayor says, name of Brandon Johnson. It's not constructive to demonize these youth. Listen to that. It's not constructive to demonize these people for running around and ripping up other people's property. It's not constructive. Really? I tell you what is constructive. Bring the National Guard in. Listen to this. It's not constructive to demonize youth who have otherwise been starved of opportunities in their own communities. Well, I got to tell you, Brandon Johnson, this is how dumb, look at this, we're going to get on a CTA trip, just because, bus, just because. You know who's been in control of the city of Chicago? Who has starved these young youths of opportunities? The Democratic Party. There you go. I mean, it's your party that has been in control of the city of Chicago forever and ever and ever. So it is your policies, you clown. Our city must work together to create spaces for youth to gather safely and responsibly under adult supervision and guidance to ensure that every part of our city remains welcome for both residents and visitors. That's what this guy said. You get what you vote for. You want lawlessness. You want excuses. You want crimes run rampant. You want people to say, hey, look, we're just going to do whatever we want. You want to take fathers out of it. You want to not back the police. You want to take religion out of schools. You want to do all these things. And then you get surprised when, well, I don't know, Kids have nothing else to do but destroy stuff. They have no moral fiber, and they destroy stuff. But hey, again, these kids have been starved for opportunities. Who's starving them? Looks to me like Democratic policies are starving them. I've said this forever, and I'll say it again. You lower a bar, they'll reach it. You raise a bar, they'll reach it. Who's they? All of us. All of us are they. You lower my bar, I'll reach it. You raise my bar, I'll reach it. We got to start raising the bar. We got to start raising, we got to start putting uh, actual like, hey, look, school has to be a place where there's at least a little bit of discipline, right? Prosecutors have to prosecute. It can't be a free-for-all. Or maybe it can. I'm never living there. I don't want to be a part of that. Uh, Where I like my own boring life. My own boring life is fun. Really, 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 really fun. You know what I mean? It's fun. I like going to Chicago. I love going to Chicago, actually. I'm just saying. I do. I'm not blaming anybody. I'm not blaming black or white. I'm just telling you, there you go. I mean... I'm sure there's white people in there too. I'm not, I'm not saying it's one, but I'm just saying that we got a problem in Chicago and we had better, we had better decide that we're going to do something about it because it ain't just going to be Chicago. It ain't. No, it ain't. And that's no, it ain't going to be Chicago. And I know we're not allowed to say what the root problem is, but I'm going to say what the root problem is. We got no discipline in school. 
We got hopelessness among kids because there's no discipline. Discipline brings you structure. Families, dads. I'll get called a racist, I'm sure, a hundred different times today. But Tony Dungy said it, and I piggyback it. We got to have fathers. Statistically, we got to have fathers. We got to start making the, the nuclear family an important thing, or else we're going to get this right here. I mean, I'll, I'll, you tell me who to blame, I'll tell you exactly who to blame. Lawlessness in our society is because of a lack of accountability in our society. Black community, white community, you name it. You tell me. But I'm just saying. I know we're not allowed to say things like that. I know we're not allowed to say fathers are important. I understand. But fathers are important. Be curious, you know, how many of these kids actually have a dad in the home? I know, again, probably racist, probably sexist, probably whatever it is, but it'd just be curious. How many of these people have a dad in their home? I don't know the answer to that. Uh, shooting in Alabama. Look, I don't know what to make of all this. I don't know if this was a party gone bad. I don't know what this was. But I got to tell you, the shooting in Alabama is a reflection of the same thing. Same thing I've been talking about. We have a society where what do we have? We have guns. We have lawlessness. We have no accountability. We have no fathers. Fathers are the most important thing you can have. And anybody with any two cents knows it's to be true. So you go to a little kid's party. Next thing you know, six people are going to be shot. 20 are in the hospital. That's a mass shooting of epic proportions. We'll get some more. We'll get some more uh, data on it. But the fact of the matter is, it's the same thing. It's the same. You can talk about uh, trans hate, white supremacies. You can talk about whatever you want in this, in this country. But the lack of accountability and the lack of fathers is the enemy of all of us. Black, white, Hispanic, I don't care. Born here for generations, just came over from somewhere. Lack of fathers, lack of discipline in schools, lack of discipline anywhere uh, is the number one threat to our society. It just is. And I'll take whatever heat comes with that. Because I know everything, all the heat comes with all that stuff. All right, of course you know this is going to happen. Uh, some rapper named E14, E40, got kicked out sitting in the front row uh, for arguing. I guess he was going at some woman. Some woman is going at him. Nobody knows the backstory. I have no idea the backstory. Jalen Rose did a big video. He doesn't know the backstory. Nobody knows the backstory. Nobody. But the fact of the matter is this happened. And the fact of the matter is this. E-40, there's always a backstory. Nobody in the media knows the backstory. E-40 and the woman know the backstory. And, of course, you know what E-40 did? No matter what my success, it still shows that a white woman get a black man kicked out. Let me tell you two things about that. Number one, nobody knows the story. Number two, the last thing in the world. The last thing. I know these guys. I know ushers. I know general managers. I know president of the Pacers. Last thing in the world they want to do is kick anybody out sitting on the front row. The last thing they want to do, anybody, let's just be totally honest, last thing any white organization wants to do is throw an African-American popular man out of a game, period. That's the last thing. But they did. So there's got to be a backstory to it. I wouldn't believe either. I wouldn't believe the woman. I wouldn't believe it. I don't know. But it was egregious enough that they told this guy to get going. Stock down. Don't get kicked out of game. Stock down to Joe Biden just because Joe Biden needs stock down. Is there any other reason it needs to be said other than Joe Biden's stock down? I don't even know what he did this week, and I was too busy winning money in Vegas.
But stock down Joe Biden. Yeah, stock down. Uh, SNL. SNL, Saturday Night Live, decided they were going to jump on the bandwagon of kids getting sex change operations. Okay. That's what you're going to do. See, SNL did not even know their history. They call this their first transgender person or whatever, non-binary, whatever the hell the words are. I don't even know and I don't care. It's not my fight. But they also had Pat back in the day. The gender neutral, non-denominational, whatever the hell, Pat. And nobody ever knew whether Pat was a boy or a girl. It was funny. It was clever, smart. Now they just bring out Chris Farley's sister or brother, whatever this is, and start saying that kids should be able to change their sex. Oh, I like Pat. Pat was fun. <laughs> it was. Pat was good. All right. What do we got? What do we, and I want to, uh, what do we got? We got any wokeness? We got a lot of wokeness at the end right there. Oh, my God. Yeah, man. Uh, D.C. police. See, this is what I'm saying. Our cities are a mess. And if you don't think they're a mess, I don't know what to tell you. Maybe hope is not alive. Certainly police officers are overwhelmed. Certainly people feel like they can go do whatever they want because in most cases there's no accountability in their lives. And why do police want to deal with this? I mean, you, you, lo- you know, you think about it, you're trained to do something, you do something wrong as a police officer, and it might not even be wrong. It just might be perceived as wrong. And of course, I'm not talking about, you know, the ridiculous and asinine killings of people that we've seen. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about other things. The next thing you know, you get fired, you lose your job, and you're branded. I don't know why anybody would want to be a cop, and the money's not great. You make the money great, anybody will want to be a cop. But what the cops have had to do is they've had to lower standards, which we saw in Memphis was a complete train wreck. And now you can't get anybody to be a cop. Who would blame them? Who the hell wants to be uh, a lifetime, uh, not a lifetime, but who the hell wants to be behind bars because of something you were trained to do that just showed up bad? I don't know. I'm not saying that's what happens all the time, but it just seems like police are under constant attack and the chances of you ending up either getting fired or behind bars are a lot bigger than the chances of you getting a promotion and being great. Who the hell wants to do that? I don't. What else we got as we end this wonderful show today? Defund the police, really? You are. You're doing it. Oh, the Babylon Bee. Oh, man. Oh, man, homelessness, homelessness, and more homelessness. I got to tell you, it's a problem. Again, I go to the same thing. You know, let me finish with this. There isn't anybody in this world that doesn't need discipline or want discipline. There isn't anybody in this world that doesn't want direction. There is. I'm sorry. You can say there is. You can act like there is. But there is nobody in this that doesn't want direction. Everybody wants to be helped. Everybody wants to be held accountable. They don't admit it. They don't like it. Even the Bible says just because you can do everything means you shouldn't. Don't do it. Have parameters. Got no more parameters. It's killing our society. Got no more parameters on kids. Got no more parameters on anything. It's killing us. It's absolutely killing us. We'll be back tomorrow with more. This might be the greatest show ever. You get a ton of sports. You get a ton of opinion. You get a ton of interaction. 
People that say stick to sports, are you crazy? We ain't sticking to sports. We got too much to say. Make damn sure we take care of each other. Let's make damn sure we take care of our loved ones. Have a great afternoon, everybody.